Radhika Jones, Editor-in-Chief of Vanity Fair. If you enjoy binge-watching the best TV shows and love hearing from the actors and showrunners who make them happen, then subscribe to Vanity Fair. Our Hollywood reporters take you behind the scenes of the year's most anticipated projects, the industry's biggest moves, and the hardest-fought awards races. From The Crown to The Real Housewives, we've got the inside scoop. As a special thank you to our still-watching audience, we're offering 15% off a yearly digital subscription to Vanity Fair. Visit VanityFair.com today and use promo code POD15. That's VanityFair.com, promo code POD15, for 15% off a yearly digital subscription to everything you want. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. What if comparing car insurance rates was as easy as putting on your favorite podcast? With Progressive, it is. Just visit the Progressive website to quote with all the coverages you want. You'll see Progressive's direct rate, then their tool will provide options from other companies so you can compare. All you need to do is choose the rate and coverage you like. Quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Comparison rates not available in all states or situations. Prices vary based on how you buy. Hear my words and bear witness to my vow. Night gathers and now my watch begins. It shall not end until my death. I shall take no wife, hold no lands, father no children. I shall wear no crowns and win no glory. I shall live and die at my post. I am the sword in the darkness. I am the watcher on the walls. I am the shield that guards the realm of men. I pledge my life and honor to the night's watch. For this night, and all the nights to come. Hello and welcome to Still Watching Game of Thrones. I'm Vanity Fair senior writer Joanna Robinson. And I'm Vanity Fair chief critic Richard Lawson. If you are just joining us, we are doing a countdown of our top 15 episodes of Game of Thrones, running down the list in chronological order. Today we're talking about Season 3, Episode 5, Kiss by Fire, written by Brian Cogman, directed by Alex Graves. Uh, if you missed it, we already talked about a few seasons from Episode 1, as well as an episode from Season 2. But this is now we're into season three, which is, I have to admit, my favorite season of Game of Thrones. So, oh yeah, this is the big, this is the big season. This is it. This is how, this is how it goes. And it's funny, you know, we watched, we watched a few of these. Spoiler alert. We we were going to talk about a few season three episodes, but every time we watched, every time I watched one, I'll say like, I was like, this season's so good. Oh my God. So, um, here we go. What I do at the top of every episode, just to give you a little refresher, if you are not watching along with us, is that I do a little 15-word recap for what's happening on this episode of Game of Thrones. So here, here we go. The Hound and Beric duel. Shireen visits Davos. Two Lannisters die. Baths and butts. So... There we go. Mm -hmm. um, I think that really captured the gravitas of this particular episode for you. We will have an interview later on this episode with Brian Cogman, who wrote the episode. He's also a co-executive producer on Game of Thrones, has been on the show from the start, 
worked on the final season. So did I get a lot of spoilers out of him? No, I did not. But I did have a really good conversation with him about this episode, which actually might be my favorite episode of Game of Thrones. Um, I, rewatching it, I just really loved it start to finish. So Richard and I are going to talk about why this is an important episode of Game of Thrones. Before that, before we do that, we want to hand out a few little awards that we like to do. So we're going to start with our obvious MVP of this episode. Richard, who you got? Uh, I'm going to say Rob, because he really steps up and uh, follows in his father's rather uh, harsh view of justice yeah. by uh, beheading Karstark. Though, to be fair, Karstark did do something really bad. Um, so I suppose it was more warranted uh, a beheading than, um, you know, someone fleeing the wall to tell people that the White Walkers are coming, like as we see see in the pilot episode of the show. Right. Um, but yeah, you know, it, I think this is one of the big step up Rob um, scenes. And it's just like setting the groundwork for him to reign as King of the North for season of, after season of this show. And something that we um, that I talked to Brian Cogman about is the way they changed that book, that scene from the book to the show to sort of show you Rob being a little bit more kingly than maybe he appeared um, in the book. So um, I love that MVP. My obvious MVP of this episode and maybe of the series, Jamie Lannister. Um, this is like the Jamie Lannister episode because we get this, the famous hair and all bathtub scene, um, where Nicola Costa just like really went for it. So very reminiscent of the, um, cruel intentions, uh, <laughs> bath scene where, uh, you know, like Felipe's trying to seduce, uh, Reese Witherspoon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly the same. <laughs> same same category absolutely um i'm gonna hop from my obvious mvp to my sneaky mvp i'm gonna pick another bath scene and say um egret rose leslie watching these season three episodes i just really appreciate it even more what she does with this character how much i like am engrossed by and love uh her character in this so uh rose leslie and and egret yeah and it worked Oh, uh, really did. She married him. <laughs> she got yeah. a ring on that. So, yeah, there you go. Yeah, at her Scottish castle. <laughs> uh, how about um, you, Sneaky MVP? Olivar. Olivar. <laughs> uh, I th- it, think this is his first episode, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. The sort of sneaky, gay, uh, brothel procurer slash spy slash... Uh, whatever, um, sleeps with Loris, uh, in this episode. And I remember watching it and being like, here we go. Cause it's only vaguely alluded to in the books, uh, Loris's proclivities. Um, so I like that the show at least threw a, threw a bone, so to speak, to, uh, the, their gay fans, gay male fans anyway. Um, and, uh, or bisexual, whoever, whoever likes to see, uh, that. Um, <laughs> uh, so yeah, Olivar, I think he's fun. He's a good actor. Yeah. Uh, and, and he, um, he crops up a surprising number of times. And like, yeah. what's fascinating about this episode is to watch how many little things, uh, pay off in the end. Like the fact that he sleeps with Loris here gives him ammunition to testify against Loris later on. Like that mm-hmm. happens in this episode. It's crazy. Um, that's a good one, Olivar. I'm a, I'm a big fan of the weird way he spells his name. Um, all right. So this is the part of our episode where oh. I force Richard to do theater. Um, where we are going to try to perform a favorite quote from this episode. Uh, so I'm going to do, I'm going to do my best Jamie Lannister. I think I horn honked. I'm going to do it again where we perform a, a line, our favorite line from the episode. I'm going to do my best Jamie Lannister here. We'll see how I do when I say, by what right does the wolf judge the lion? By what right? All right. Um, that's me. <laughs> that's a good one. How about you? Um, from um one of my favorites um 
What good is the word extravagant if it can't be used to describe a royal wedding? That's Lady Olena. <laughs> oh my god, you're, I never knew I needed your Lady Olena impression. <laughs> and yet here it is. Beautiful. She's so good. I, she, maybe she's my MVP, honestly. <sighs> she's so um, good. What a great run Dame, Dame Diana Rake had on the show and had one of the, well, spoiler alert, one of the best deaths on the show. Absolutely, um, yeah. Anyway, so it's fun to have her around. Yeah. I forgot how much she was around in these, because I, I, for some reason I just thought like, oh, she was in a couple episodes, but no, she's like pretty much in there for like a solid two seasons. This episode, once again, is crazy for how much happens. You're like, oh, that storyline and that storyline. And then you're like, oh my God, there's room for a long talky scene with Tyrion and Olena about the wedding. Like it's just, and it's a beautiful scene. It's so well done. And she's just r- super rude to Pod. And it's, fa- and Tyrion's just like, who's so used to being the smartest, sharpest person in the room is so off his game. Oh, it's so good. I really loved it. Um, all right. I'm going to do my best, uh, Richard imitation with this next award, which is best dressed. Uh, and, and say Rob Stark, um, there, so <laughs> when the Lannister boys get killed in this episode, uh, King Rob is roused from his bed with his wife and comes into like sort of the throne room or whatever, the main front room of River Run to hand out some justice. He does not fully get, uh, get dressed. So his shirt is kind of undone. And I was listening to the commentary on this episode and Nicola Costawallo goes, I have to ask King Rob, why so much cleavage? Um, which is like <laughs> one of my favorite, uh, audio commentary lines I've ever heard. And, um, I say, thank you, King Rob, for that cleavage. Uh, who's your, who's your best dressed? Right well, it's got to be Lady Elena, doesn't it? Oh, yes. I mean, with her wonderful, I don't know what you would call that. Veil, veil and wimple, right? Is that? Veil and wimple, yeah. yeah. Sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. Oh, her style. Incredible. Um, all right. And then this is the part, the last award we give out, which is the ship of the episode. That is like two people that we are rooting for in a romantic capacity. Since there's so much romantic tension in this episode, I'm going to ignore the prompt and just say two like people that I was most happy to see together. Um, and that is Shireen and Davos. Here we get like Shireen and Celise and Grey Worm are all introduced in this episode, which is like a huge lift to do. And I really love Shireen and Davos. It's so sweet. It is another like thing that is made ominous by what eventually happens there, but it's just such like a lovely little, uh, jail scene and also her, her scene with Stannis. But so in a, in a completely non-romantic father daughter platonic way, I'm into Shireen and Davos. What do you say, Richard? Well, I say about that, um, you know, it's one of those instances where, uh, the British accent goes a long way with child actors for me, you know, because I'm like, that girl's so good. And maybe I wouldn't think so if she was speaking in in my accent. But um, yeah, anyway, I I think you're right. That's a a great scene and a a sad, obviously, uh, well, eventually sad kind of kind of dynamic um i would say that i'm i mean i'm you know gonna go back to it i'm, I'm shipping olivar with pretty much anybody <laughs> excellent excellent and i think he would say the same he would he's up for it all of it um all right so those are our awards and before we talk generally about you know what makes this an important episode um we do really quickly want to mention that if you're listening to this podcast and you're not currently a vanity fair subscriber we have a deal going for you guys for game of thrones 
If you go to VanityFair.com slash Thrones and you put in the promo code Thrones, you get 50% off a whole year of digital and print or just digital if you don't want the magazine coming to your house, but you should because it's got beautiful stuff in it. Uh, $7.50 for a whole year. And that means you don't have any paywall. You can read everything we write about Game of Thrones or anything else. Richard, is this deal crazy or what? Well, to sweeten it or to savory it, we're, um, Joanna and I are going to make some Game of Thrones foods, like probably, probably just eel pie, and we'll mail them to you. Um, <laughs> in you the tote. In the standard, tote standard post, like nothing fancy or express. Yeah. No, yeah. Rot- um, rotting eel pie coming your way. A no, it's pie. A, no, yeah. It, it's a great deal to get past the paywall. Um, I, I, I agree with you. I know we're trying to, you know, be environmentally conscious about the magazine, you know, print and all that, but like the print issue is, is really beautiful and there's, um, stuff in there that you won't get online. Um, and, uh, yeah, so I, I say do it. Why not? Why not? Why not? Live big. Uh, something that I have been mentioning, which is on theme for what we like to talk about, is that our March issue has uh, the King of the North himself, Richard Madden, in our style portfolio, wearing like a sparkly jacket. It's pretty amazing. I would want a physical copy of that. So, um, you know, subscribe to the physical magazine. You never know what you're going to get in your inbox. All right. Kiss by Fire. Do I need to make a case for why this is my favorite episode of Game of Thrones? Or are you there? I'd like to hear why. Okay. Um I mean, I guess I've touched on it a bit in terms of there's really something for everyone in this. You got dead babies in jars. You've got multiple hot tub scenes. You've got a beheading. You've got a duel. But, but basically, I mean, there's so much satisfying character work in this episode. And then also, as I mentioned, there's just so much important seed planting in this episode. We get Rob deciding to go to the twins. To Walter Frey, that's a big seed that's planted in this episode. We get the notion of resurrection in Westeros is planted in this episode when Beric Dondarrion comes back from the dead. Um, we get, and then we get this like Jamie Lannister bottoming out, you know, having lost a hand and shoved into the mud of Harrenhal. That's, that's the rock bottom for him. And then sort of his rebirth, uh, trajectory. And since Jamie Lannister is such an important character to me, um, on the show, this episode just feels so important. That Heron Albas scene, that monologue he gives about uh, the Mad King Ares and all of that, I think it's like nine minutes long, so long. And it's so impressive that the show made room for that. I, I'm just really, I really just love everything that happens in this episode, even crazy Solis. Uh, so what do you, what do you say, Richard? Yeah, no, I think that's all sound reasoning. Um, I, I think that this, you know, something we'll talk about as this, these, this countdown goes on. And certainly as we dive into the final season is what the show was when they had the source material and what it was after they ran out and were sort of inventing things on their own. Mm-hmm. And I think this episode is a really prime example of what a rich density of stuff um, George R. R. Martin provided um, Benioff and Weiss with to 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 narrativize in in a, in a filmed way. Um, you know, you feel the show kind of ever broadening, and I think that in some ways has been a problem with the books because he got it though his world got so big that he couldn't really find a way still has not found a way to tie those strings together. Right. And, you know, so you watch the show and you're like, Oh my God, this is like, there's so much happening so much. There's so much density here. And I enjoyed rewatching it, but I also kind of 
it made me remember that like as the show goes on it has to streamline some so it kind of it was kind of a weird bittersweet feeling because i really enjoyed watching this episode again but i also it was like it made me kind of mourn when the show had this much texture to it yeah no it's it's really true i mean watching watching all of these early episodes i i think it's you know and and brian cogman touched upon this a bit when i talked to him but like just I think no matter what, given that everything was headed towards a big war, essentially, it wasn't going to be two people talking in a room um, anymore. Though two yeah. people talking in a room is what I fell in love with. It's what it isn't what the show stayed, and that's fine. Um, but once again, you the those those big battle sequences that we get now matter because of all the character work done here. You know, they had yeah, years totally. to build up to it. And so this is, this is the stuff that makes that other stuff mean something. We care about what happens to Jon Snow because Zegret loved him. Like that, that matters, you know? Um, when you, when you see Egret say, you know, I never want to leave this cave, Jon Snow, and, and know that like that's going to be involved in her dying words, like, uh, I don't, I think when I watched the cave scene in the first place, it, it didn't really dawn on me how important and iconic that would be. <laughs> I was just sort of like, okay, here we go. We're stripping off our clothes again on Game of Thrones. But then that's like, you know, there's a, there is a part of Jon Snow that will always be in that cave. And that's, that's important to this story that we're telling. And, um, it's just, yeah. it's, it's incredible though, the, the rich beginnings, uh, of this show, you know? Yeah. And I think that like, any moment on this show when two characters are happy together and are having a moment sort of away from death and mayhem and all that, like it's so welcome, you know, this third season is really mired in a lot of darkness um, for, you know, a variety of reasons, but the, this sort of the, the, the war is happening in Westeros. Like, we just see moments in this episode and in later episodes, just so many moments of just like brutality and like no one is safe and like everyone's horrible to each other. And, you know, and so I think when you get a moment of like two young people, you know, one of whom is a virgin <laughs> uh, having this kind of connection and it's just so sweet. It's like, it's such a precious thing on a show like this um, to like remind you of their, you know, humanity if we can call it that because this is a made-up place but um you know and made-up people but um yeah i i think that like in as much as that that cave scene leads to a sad thing later it also is just such a respite um from all of the misery surrounding it yeah absolutely um and then well i wanted to ask you about the like the the barrack dandarian cave fight scene do you feel like the you know in the books we have lady stoneheart which i don't think it's a spoiler to talk about it is like a resurrected catelyn stark to help us understand how resurrection works in westeros um in this in in this show context we really just have beric dandarian do you feel like this scene is effective in laying the track for you know Jon snow coming back from the dead in season five i mean i suppose so they they you know, Dondarrion is always this kind of interesting, kind of shadowy character in the books where, like, you know, we, we meet him, but he's always just kind of referred to in the back, you know, in the background. He's almost like a virtual character in that way. Yeah. Um, and I, and I, I like what the show does with him here. And I think, yeah, I, I think that this is one of those things where 
you know, with the witch, um, and, and Danny and, and, uh, the dragons, obviously, where you're in the White Walkers, but like, you're like, okay, yeah, there is definitely supernaturally magic y stuff happening here. The Lord of Light might be on to something or those that follow him, you know? Yeah. Um, I like when the show kind of does a confirmation like this. They're like, yeah, yeah, like this stuff actually, a lot of it's real. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and I like how, um, I mean, I, I, I don't feel like we, so many seasons later, later, we don't have a good answer for all of it. Like, you can have Celise. With her dead babies in her jars, <laughs> um, talk talk like a fanatic in a way that makes you want to just write off the whole uh, Lord of Light religion, and then you have you know Thoros of Mir, who you know, and that's just how religion is, right? You've got people who seem like they are reasonable devotees of it, and then you've got you know Melisandre. <laughs> so it's 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 complicated and interesting. Um, the, the last thing I want to talk about maybe um, is this notion that uh, the young actor Dean Charles Chapman played both Martin Lannister, young Martin Lannister, yeah. and <laughs> King Tommen. And I don't know that I had rewatched this episode since King Tommen took a nosedive out the window uh, in season six. And so I, I, I was struck by the notion that maybe Dean Charles Chapman is the only actor on Game of Thrones to die twice. Uh, possibly. So, um, I don't know. Oh, it was just funny. Yeah. It was funny to, to, to see him go, uh, <laughs> again, you know. So. Well, he was resurrected by the Lord of Light. There you go. And made a king of all of Westeros. Um, all right. Is there anything else you want to talk about in terms of this, this great episode? Um, I don't think so. I mean, I, I really do, uh, I really just love all the stuff at King's Landing with Marguerite and, um, Sansa and Elena yeah. and like, for, for whatever reason, and it's not just the Loras thing, but like, that's part of it certainly, but like, for that, that palace intrigue, like, that's kind of my favorite stuff, um, on the show, um, and, and in the books even, um, well, no, there's other stuff in the books I like, but, um, so it's just like, it's such a pleasure to be in this like, very like, witty, you know, courtly kind of, world um because some of the grime and you know swords clashing and all that stuff that wears on me a little bit with this show but um but i, I love a, a a witty repartee laced with a lot of sinister intent uh that no one delivers quite like diana rick yeah and um we should say that the episode closes out with this amazing three-hander between Tyrion, Cersei, and Tywin. Um, and it's just, it's kind of, I don't know if it's disorienting for you, but it's a little disorienting for me to watch an episode close on a conversation. You know what I mean? You're just sort of like, I'm used to Game of Thrones being like, and then they died or something like yeah. that. But it's just sort yeah. of like, and you know, these children, adult children are upset because their father, they think they're powerful, but their father can still just, you know, reduce them to nothing. Such a good scene too, uh, between the three of them. So, all right. Well, that is Kiss by Fire. Stay tuned for our interview with Brian Cogman and to find out which episode we will be talking about next time. And if you are watching this video, either I'm dead or I'm in a very, very, very bad situation. She said, oh my God, I can hear gunshots. I can hear men outside. Where are they? What have they done to them? Are they dead? Are they not dead? There is one suspect, her father, the Sheikh. It's Madeline Barron from In the Dark. We've teamed up with our new colleague, Heidi Blake, at The New Yorker to try to answer a question about one of the richest men in the world, the ruler of Dubai. 
Why do the women in Sheikh Mohammed's family keep trying to run away? There is five policemen outside and two policewomen inside the house. So basically I'm a hostage. And he reminded me that Sheikh Mohammed can get me anywhere. Because you're a rich and powerful person, you can effectively break any law you want in our country and get away with it. The Runaway Princesses is available now. Follow In the Dark wherever you get your podcasts. The questions around retirement have gotten tiring. Instead of, have you saved up enough? Shouldn't they be asking, what is it that you love to do? And how can we help you keep doing it? The truth is, you're not slowing down. So your retirement plan should be more of an action plan, a hiking plan, a music plan, a sailing plan. The point is, whatever you're passionate about, we can help make sure you never stop. At Lincoln Financial, we have the products to help protect and grow your financial future so you can keep doing more of what you love. Make your pastimes last a lifetime at lincolnfinancial.com slash action plan. Lincoln Financial Group, marketing name for Lincoln National Corporation and its insurance companies and broker slash dealer affiliate Lincoln Financial Distributors, Inc. Copyright 2024, Lincoln National Corporation. joined today by co-executive producer and writer Brian Cogman. Hello, Brian. How are you? Hello, Joanna. I'm very well. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Um, Brian, would you say that's accurate that other than uh, Dan and Dave, you are sort of the storyteller and George, obviously, the storyteller who has been on this project the longest from the start to the finish? Uh, yes. Yes. I mean, I'm the only... Uh, uh, screenwriter for the show that's been with the with the show since the very beginning, um, and yeah, yeah, it was it was the three of us uh, breaking the first season uh, in the winter months of two thousand nine. Wow! So, so it, yeah, yeah, long run. So it, you know, it was exciting to me that when I reached out to you to talk about this episode specifically, you're like, oh, that's uh, you know, I think you said that's my favorite that I've written, um, and then yeah. when I was rewatching it. I was like, oh yeah, this might be my favorite that I've ever watched. Uh, so why is for you, why is Kiss by Fire the favorite, uh, that you've ever written? There are two. The one's the more selfish reason in that it's probably the closest, uh, in terms of execution, the, the closest episode to my very first draft. You know, you write a you write a draft, and it goes through a notes process, and you revise, and you change for production reasons. And David and Dan take a crack at certain scenes once you get closer to production, and things move around. Uh, but of all of my episodes, Kiss by Fire probably it resembles my very very first draft that I turned in the most. Um, that's not to say measure of success, but it was it's just you know it's nice it's nice for me. Um, and then. But other than that, even just as an episode of Thrones, it's it's kind of got a little bit of everything. Which I, I, it's got a little bit of humor. It's uh, it's got some action, but it's it's uh, very um, contained and character based action. Even that action sequence is more about uh, as much about the reaction shots from other people uh, as 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 it is about the fighting. Um, it touches on each world of the show, and it even. And I don't know that this was intentional. I think this was one of those happy accidents uh, due to the nature of, of the show and all the you know, disparate storylines. It was not always possible to sort of get a coherent theme into one hour, 
you yeah. know, um, mm-hmm. because that's just not how the show is structured. But this one, uh, and again, it was probably just by accident, but it was a happy accident, seems to have kind of a few thematic threads within it uh, that, 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 are, uh, that go throughout all the storylines, even ones as uh, far-flung as Stannis' storyline and, and the Lannister storyline. So um, that was something I noticed this last time that I, re- I hadn't seen it in a long time, and I looked at it again last night, and uh, uh, that was something that was... Uh, exciting for me to see so yeah it's just it's one that i just think turned out really really well and um and again it seems closest to to my heart because it it seems closest to my original my original draft i always get kind of geekily happy when uh, an episode title can refer to multiple things you're like oh no that's kiss by yeah, fire oh no that's kiss by fire and you're just like it's amazing yeah. how many things um it, yeah is this i guess this must be the most satisfying version of that um are there any others where you're like oh yeah the this this hit multiple levels oh in certain ways episode titles yeah the children was one where we uh and we named them all way later. Right. Uh, we we that's sort of the last thing we do, as a matter of fact, uh, in some ways, because um, I, we sort of have to look at them when they're finished and and sort of see what jumps out at us. And as much as we can, we try to find bits of dialogue that that uh, or phrases that are within the episode. But that's not always the case. Sometimes sometimes it'll be a nod to the books. Like I I named my season seven episode the Broken Man, even though the actual broken man speeches in the episode. Right, yeah. um, but, but that speech inspired the episode. So, you know, so we called it that, um, same with ghost of Heron hall. I don't think we never actually have the ghost of Heron hall concept, but, uh, since that was the episode where she befriended Jack and then it was sort of based on those chapters of the books. We gave that, that season five, two episodes, that title, but yeah, in terms of episodes where sort of, uh, yes, yeah, themes, themes emerge. And uh, actually I think the one that the, the one coming up that I wrote has, I was satisfied for the, for similar reasons. Um, that's all I can really say. <laughs> I want to ask you though, you know, without revealing anything about season eight, there is sure. so much about this episode that um, seeds things for, f- for the future, like, um, you know, Beric Dondarrion coming back or, you know, the Shireen Davos relationship or, you know, there's just like thing after thing. I'm like, or, you know, or in the short term, they're seeding the Red Wedding, you know. And so I'm wondering yeah. with these longer term seeds that are planted in this episode, are those all like happy accidents? Like, uh, oh, when we decide to bring Thoros and Beric back for season seven, how lucky that we have all this meaty stuff to refer back to in season three three or can you recall was there anything where like we know we have to do this because we know we are going to pay it off this many seasons down the road well uh that's that's a that's an interesting question um you know the writing of thrones kind of went into kind of sort of divide it into two parts we the first three seasons we really were just kind of trying to get to the red wedding and if we could get that far we knew we would do the, do the rest of it. And once we shot season three, that's when we went to Santa Fe and spoke with George and got kind of a, a better idea of things that he was planning. And and uh, that's really when the major arcs, and not all of them, but many of the major arcs that uh, played out from seasons four to eight, I, I'd say that a lot of them were, if not birthed, they were solidified or or. or, or there was greater clarity about where we were going to go. Um, that said, because season three and season three and four are, are based on Storm of Swords, and we knew that George didn't place things, you know, 
uh, arbitrarily. Um, and we had, I think at that point, we, did we have Dance of, yes, we had Dance, Dance of Dragons. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, Barrick obviously sets up that someone can be brought back to life. Right, <laughs> so, right, um, right, yeah. But I don't know. I, I can't, gosh, it's now been so many years. I don't know if some of it was conscious uh, setting up threads sometimes. And sometimes, you know, uh, show relationships blossomed in a different way. I mean, certainly Davos and Shireen have a relationship in the books. Um, but I, I dare say it's it's more pronounced, if I believe, if memory serves, in the show. Yeah, um, absolutely. You know, we, we made the decision to have Shireen, for instance, uh, be the one who teaches uh, Davos to read, um, as opposed to, I believe it's Maester Pylos. Maester Pylos, maybe? Yeah, it's in the yep. show. Um, am I right? Yeah, okay. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, yeah. It's been a while. <laughs> um, <clears throat> I, I'm, I'm getting old. My, my trivia memory is, you're, you're probably... You have to let go up, of up on this stuff better no, than I you am. have to let go of some Maester names in order to make room for more yeah, memories right. in your head. Yeah, I'm just absolutely. glad I got everyone to pronounce Maester properly by season four. Uh, <laughs> it, took me, it took me four years, but I finally fucking did it. And I like these episodes. I was often assigned the middle episodes of a season for obvious reasons because the showrunners, mm-hmm. uh, you know, they'll they'll write the premieres and they'll write the finales and they'll write the big climactic episodes and. And so I was often uh, tasked with the sort of connective um, episodes. Uh, so, but I really loved those um, because they they were sort of and they were interesting challenges for me because a lot of this sort of mythology setup and character um, building, build, character building uh, uh, sequences and scenes. Uh, and kind of meaty plot machination stuff fell to me, which I really enjoyed doing. That's another reason I like this episode. I think it's it's one of our our best uh, our best uh, accomplishments in terms of that. Um, and then you know I just got lucky in that I got uh, yeah. this one afforded me the, the Jamie Brienne scene and and the, you know it, it, a lot of pretty iconic book scenes that I was able to adapt. But that's another reason it's one of my favorites. It's got it's a nice mix of. It's a nice mix of uh, scenes that I feel proud of my adaptation efforts, which is one skill one skill set, and then but also it's full of invented bits that uh, I personally enjoy. Not everyone does, but um, I, I, I I'm personally proud of, of, of a lot of those. You strike me, and and please correct me if I'm wrong. I know that Dan and David are fans of the books, but I always think of you as like the book lore guy, and I feel like I've heard. George talk about you that way too, that like you're the guy oh, with wow. like so much of the lore in your head. Um, is, do you feel like that's yeah. accurate? And like, what, how does, how has that served you over the years? Thankfully, thankfully young Dave Hill came along in season five and <laughs> took some of that burden off of me. Um, but uh, sure. I mean, look, there, there, there are no bigger fans of the books than David and Dan. I mean, they, they eat, sleep and breathe them. I think, uh, I was tasked early on with keeping a lot of the minutiae straight because they also had a show to run. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, so, uh, and that's what, look, it's what gave me a career. I mean, that's what, uh, you know, I, I, the fact that these stories weren't, uh, household, winter is coming now is ubiquitous as may the force be with you, but that was not the case 10 years right. ago. Yeah. So it, we really needed, they really needed someone and, um, in-house to sort of uh, 
if, if nothing else, be sort of a human encyclopedia for the for the people coming in, the designers and the directors and the even the HBO execs and everybody. Um, and that just that sort of just fell to me almost by accident. And um, it gave me a career because it got me in all the meetings, and I became quickly, you know, rather indispensable at the beginning. Um, uh, and I just ran, ran, took that ball and, and ran with it. But um, but I certainly, you know, and then George appreciated that too. I think. But we, you know, there. I would never say I was a bigger fan of the books than the No, than the I guy. mean I think that's I think that's different. Like fan versus like lore keeper. I think of that as like a different sort of skill set, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um and, sure, sure, yeah. yeah. And then, you know, obviously you already touched upon it, but like the the showpiece centerpiece of this episode is the Jamie and Bran uh scene in the bathtub of Heron oh, Hall. Yeah. And yeah. um it's in a remarkably long sequence, which I love that there's like room for it to just, it just gestate and grow. Yeah. And then I, you know, so I was wondering if you could talk about that. And then I also just further, I was interested to see that you, to be reminded, I guess, that you wrote Oathkeeper the following season. Does it ever happen that, mm. like, if a writer, you know, particularly nails an interaction, are you then, like, mm-hmm. the Jamie Brand guy? Or is that, or does that just uh, hustle and flow, you know? That's a good question. Um, I, no, I, I think I was, I got lucky. Um, and, and very, very happily lucky because, you know, Gwen, Gwen is one of my, one of my best friends in the cast and, uh, and I'm close with Nikolai as well. So I am very fond of them and I've always enjoyed writing for them. Um, no, but no, not necessarily. I mean, there are big, it's a very collaborative, uh, process at the beginning. So there are pieces of things that were burst from my imagination and my heart that found their way to David's Dan's episodes and, and vice versa, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but so, but, uh, that, so I, I, no, I don't think I was ever, I don't think, I mean, unless there was some method to their madness and they knew that I, you know, in season four that I, I would be, you know, right for kind of following up their relationship. I don't think so. I think it was more just lucky, happy accident. Okay. But, um, but yeah, the, but there are a few characters where that sort of happened. Um, you know, I got, a, I have had a lot of Sam's tea scenes over the years. Um, uh, I've got a lot of Sophie's tea scenes. I, and, and there, there's some of my, a lot of Theon's tea scenes. And, and, and if you asked my favorite characters to write for it, it was oh, and Aria. Um, I mean, I've written about just about everybody right. at this point. But, <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I really love. Uh, Jamie, I mean, if you put a gun to my head, Jamie's probably my favorite character. Yeah. Um, uh, just in, because he's messy. I like the messy characters. Yeah. I mean, everyone, they're all messy, but he's particularly messy. And, and, uh, uh, and we've, we've leaned into that messiness and really yanked him back and forth and put him through the ringer and put his fans through the ringer. And, um, you know, that's sort of the point. Um, I, I like characters and respond to stories about people that, uh, um, are really torn between two, between two worlds and two identities in some, in some ways. And there are people in my life I've known, uh, I've known who, who, who would fit that description and they don't, you know, there's no such thing. I, I don't, I don't believe in, uh, the term, uh, redemption arc. I think, you know, I, 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 I believe in, um, I, I, I think the ups and the downs are, are what, are what make for interesting and compelling drama. So I think Theon, Jamie, 
Sansa actually, in a lot of ways, uh, fit fit that description. Yeah, uh, and I'm not even just talking about things that happen to them. I'm talking about like choices they make and uh, decisions they're uh, faced with, and and uh, the kind of emotional roller coasters within those characters. I've I've always found really delicious. Yeah, I might get in trouble with the diehard Sansa fans for saying this, but I think all three of those characters, the Jamie, the Theons, the Sansas, it, it can be challenging at times to root for them. And I'm like the number one Jamie, well, maybe number two after you, Jamie fan. Like, I love Jamie Lannister. Um, but then yeah. sometimes you're like, ooh, it's hard to root for him. Uh, for what he just did there, um, and that's and that's interesting. Well, yeah, and and that's the that's what's always been exciting about about Thrones is is you know I think I think a lot of people respond to culture and I like this character I'm rooting for them and and everyone does that everyone you know that's what you do um, and what I've always appreciated about about George's books and and what I hope we tried to, we we tried to do with the show is to make uh, not not to make it difficult to root for them but just to not. To not, to frankly, not consider that. I, I, we don't consider. Well, are they gonna? They're not gonna like so and so if this happens. Well, you know, that's great. Um, I love that. Life, life, ha- life happens. We don't. We don't have people watching us in life, <laughs> following our every move, and uh, we just we do we we do what we do. So I love that scene. I I, I it was a, a real beast to adapt because if you think it's long in the show, it's right. <laughs> really. It's really long in the in the book. And Alex Graves, I I, I should mention I, Alex um, Graves and Annette Hallimack, 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 who is um, the DP for this episode and many of our wonderful episodes. I think she's one of the best DPs we we, we ever had. Um, that scene was a real uh, a real uh, labor of love to shoot. It took hours and we shot well into the night and. Um, Turns out shooting in a bathtub is difficult. Uh, <laughs> Who knew? <laughs> for lots of reasons, uh, uh, just the technical stuff that would slow it up, and it, it, and um, that that studio, the the roof buckles in extreme heat, and makes and it, there was so many distractions, and the two of them were so focused and so committed to uh, to getting it right, and uh, and uh, I, I, I think Nikolai thinks it's sort of the key scene for his character. Um, and uh, so I was, uh, I was very, uh, very proud of that, of that, of that sequence. Yeah, and what, and what I love, and and you already sort of touched on this, but I think in an, in a different story, this is such an interesting scene because it it forces us to confront, you know, the guy who pushed a kid out the window and had sex with his sister in the pilot, yeah. and and yeah. confront, you know, these other truths about him. But as you say, like, if this were a different story, then this would be, this is rock bottom for Jamie, like in the mud of Heron Hall has lost his hand down mm-hmm. to the bottom, has this like catharsis in the bath and this like rebirth. And in a different story, that would be the start of a clean arc upwards. A, a clean upwards. Yeah. Yes. And then, and yeah, then exactly. what I think and, really distressed yeah. people in season four <laughs> is that that's not what happened. Oh, sure. You know what I mean? And so I, I just, I just think that that's, that was interesting. That, that I felt was like a learning moment for people who were show only, who like didn't know that this is exactly the story George is telling, which is a, like, as you say, a messy one. Yeah. 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 No, absolutely. And, and yeah, I think, uh, I think that gray area is, is, is where the show always has lived, you know, um, and, and that's, 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 it's tough. It's tough to do, you know, but, um, and, and, and probably tough to watch. I think it's really tough in season five, you know, that's the, that's the sort of rock bottom season for obvious, a lot of obvious reasons. But, um, uh, but yeah, I, I, uh, it's funny we're talking about, uh, Jamie, cause I was just rewatching the episode before speaking with you and 
Um, and this is another thing that I don't think was intentional. I, it was, you know, we would, we would lay out the, the scenes for the season and they would sort of lay where they lay. Um, but it occurred to me that this episode, because of its final, its final scene, it, it really is the first time that you, you, I think as a viewer, you realize, uh, Tyrion, Tyrion being the exception because Tyrion is essentially a, a, a protagonist character, a quote unquote likable character you're rooting for the whole time. Right. <laughs> but, um, but it's really the episode where you, where the show opens up and, and, lets you know that the Lannisters are the protagonists too. Um, yeah. And I say protagonists, I don't say heroes necessarily, but uh, that final scene where you really understand, I think clearer than ever what growing up with this fucker as your father does to you. And the wonderful work Lena does in that scene where she breaks at the end and begs him not to make her, get married again, not to force her into a marriage again. Um, that's certain, I think, and I, I, I haven't rewatched the whole thing. And certainly there were moments of vulnerability and, and, and connection that viewers had with Cersei before that scene. But I don't know. It, it's sort of, it's sort of the, it's sort of when the show kind of opens up in a, in a, in a bigger way. And this is not just about the Starks and Danny and John, the Lannisters, specifically the Lannister siblings are not who you thought they were. And they're going to take a much more, um, a, 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 a big, a big central piece of the story, um, which again, I don't think we position those scenes in the same episode together on purpose, but it was one of those kind of, kind of happy accidents. Yeah. You're t- so you're talking about the scene where Tywin and Cersei tell Tyrion that he has to marry Sansa and then the table gets flipped on yeah. Cersei and she finds out she has to marry Loras. And yeah. uh, there's a shot, there's a moment in that scene, which is such a good, beautiful three-hander where yeah, Lena just smirks at Peter. Peter like mm-hmm. sort of drops his face and looks at Charles and then Charles just looks back at him and that, and then you know everything. They don't even like say anything. Yeah. It's just, you know, uh, because they're so good at what they do. You're the dialogue in that scene is delicious and, and like, congratulations on writing it, but also just the performances oh, no, it's in that. It's all, yeah. The, the best moment, my, my proudest moments as a writer on Game of Thrones are the, and this is, and I'm not even just saying that are, the moments that the actors find within something I've written to do something silently that conveys what the undercurrent of the scene is. Yeah. Because so many of the best Game of Thrones scenes, the real scene is what they're not saying. Right. And if I've done my job well enough, to, and I'm not, I'm not saying this is all because of my writing, obviously it's because they're brilliant actors, but you, you, you try to write the scene where you try to write it in such a way that, that, that the, that the actors can find those moments within them and they're supported by the scene. And, um, yeah, I'm sure Lena and, 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 and Peter, I mean, there's three examples of, of actors who can just, I mean, they can do a flicker of the eye is all you need. I mean, their faces can otherwise be entirely still. Um, I think actually, I think Sophie Turner's become that kind of actor as well, who can just do, you know, a, 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 a slight flash behind something in the eye speaks volumes. Natalie Dormer is another one. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, I've, I've written a lot of, I wrote a lot of scenes for Natalie and, and uh, her entire subplot in season six was about her pretending to be one thing right. while doing something else. And it was entire, every scene <laughs> she had to convey two arcs uh, and she did. Um, so uh, yeah. So I love that scene because 
and this is another another challenge of season three. Um, the 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 because we're adapting one book, but the, the the bulk of this King's Landing plot per se, and and use of a lot of our our main characters actually happens in the back half of the third book, right? Which is season four. So we had to expand the um, the Tyrell marriage plot, which uh, unfolds a little more straightforwardly in the book. We had to uh, expand it and involve little, make it about Littlefinger and Varys and their kind of uh, power play and and uh, sort of uh, complicated and tangled a little, a little bit to to give our cast you know, a little more to do. Um, but what it ended up doing was all that stuff is just again the best the best Game of Thrones scenes are the ones where yeah you're you're dealing with all of these core intrigue things but it's really just an excuse to expose you know who these people are Character, and that's, that's yeah. why I really enjoy that last scene I enjoy that last scene and that's the kind of thing you know as the show as the show escalated those kinds of scenes as episode enders became fewer for all the obvious reasons so I'm I, I like that that episode ends with three people around a table and it's, I think just as thrilling and, and, and upsetting as, 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 as other, you know, kind of splashier. I was, I'm, um, you just read out loud my next note on my page, which is ends on, oh, ends on a, sorry, no, no, ends on a conversation <laughs> question mark. Like I've gotten so trained to a uh, game of Thrones episode ending with like a dun, dun, dun. And this like, it still is. Yeah, and yeah. I like, I was like, Oh, that's it. Oh, that's so good. Was like sort of my reaction yeah. to the end of this episode. So yeah. Yeah. And it helps again, helps if you have Charles Dance, Peter Dinklage and, and Lena Petey, you know, <laughs> doing your three hander on the table, um, right. but, uh, but yeah, it was it was. Uh, but that really did dawn on me the fact that this is really when the Lannisters, in a lot of ways, took took center stage in a, in a different way, not just as the villains. I wanted to. I, I I I'm actually not sure if you can comment on this. So if you can't, please let me know. But like, um, I want sure. I wanted to flip back to the um, what we were talking about in terms of Barrick's resurrection, needing to establish oh, sure. the rules of this world in terms of like knowing that we can bring characters back from the dead. Did you know mm-hmm. at that point that you weren't going to do a Catelyn Stark resurrection and then it was all going to basically have to be on the Barrick stuff? Oh, uh, I, to be honest, I don't remember. Okay. I don't think it had been, no, I don't think it had been decided on definitively yet. No. Was that like, um, once again, once again, only if you can tell me that's fine, but like, was that a result? Was that a situation where it's a result of a conversation with George where he tells you his large play and you're like, okay, we can figure out a way to do this without Stoneheart. We don't, that's not something Mm -hmm. we need to tell our full story. Probably not something I should talk about. Okay. Um, then let me flip over to a different subject. Um, Mm-hmm. Is this also perhaps my favorite episode of Game of Thrones because it has so many uh, butts per scene uh, in it? Oh. Yeah. Two hot tubs, you know, yeah. somehow. Multiple hot tubs. Oliver shows up, you know, like we, everyone's getting oh, yeah, it done, yeah, you know? Yeah, well, he was great. Um, <laughs> yeah, it was, it was kind of a sexy one, isn't it? Uh, I, maybe, I don't know. I, it was, um, uh, I can, yeah, right. I have a lot of bathtubs frolicking scenes throughout the show again <laughs> this is all just how it fell um yeah it's a playful episode i mean obviously not the, the, the 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 jamie graham scene is not so much but uh, uh i like it 
there, there are some moments of real kind of joy and innocence uh, in it, which is fun because you don't have as much of that on the show as, uh, for obvious reasons. Um, so I really love, uh, yeah, I, mean, I really love that Egret uh, John scene. I think it's, it was one of those that that's, that's to answer your, your question before about uh, say the barrack setup scene. I mean, that's a scene that, it was important to get that right because of what it means to them going forward. You know, it's referred to and talked about and, uh, as sort of the, the happiest they ever were, um, at least together. Um, so getting that chemistry, you know, getting that, that, that scene right was, was it took a lot of, a lot of work and a lot of, you know, massaging and, um, and uh, thankfully, you know, they have good chemistry as we see in, in real life. In their marriage. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah. Uh, and yeah, I guess there are, uh, yeah, we got Oliver's, yeah, there are a lot of butts. Yeah, you're right. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> you know, it's funny. It, it, well, you know, it's funny it, with the, with all the nudity and all the sex scenes and all of it, like, I forget that everyone else is watching it and isn't expecting it. Like, it's so, um, it's, it's so routine at this point. <laughs> like, it became, you know, I remember writing my first sex scene was, I was so nervous and then you just get kind of used to it and it becomes, and I frankly, it's that way to shoot them too. I think it just becomes kind of, you know, well, okay, you go here and you go here and it's very technical. And right, just, right. You know, well, I, uh, and of course you do every, do everything you can to make everyone comfortable and, and it's planned out to the, you know, the, the nth degree and, um, and I think we have a, a good track record there, but, uh, yeah, it's, uh. It's just it's it's part of it's part of the show. Well, I was I was talking to um, Esme Bianco earlier for uh, you know, I was talking to her about. The, oh, uh, oh, I, just, I love that. I, I saw I saw Esme the other day. Actually, I had drink with her the other day. <laughs> um, I, our, I, our, our spouses. Yeah. Oh, nice. Um, I was talking yeah. about the pilot with her, and you know, she obviously mm. had a lot of those like um, sexy frolicky scenes, and she she has said something over yeah. the year that I years that I think is so smart, which is like. Yeah, there's titillation involved, but isn't it interesting that in these Roz scenes, you get, um, you learn so much about Tyrion and especially Theon that you wouldn't otherwise because they are unguarded in a way because they are like physically vulnerable. They're naked, you know? And well, yeah. yeah. And so thinking about that, yeah. thinking about her talking about that and then rewatching this episode, I was like, I mean, I know that the Jamie Brand scene takes place in a bathtub in the book, but like to put them there, in this extremely vulnerable position with each other. Um, just really, it's so important for that scene, you know? Oh yeah. And that's, and that's the maximum. And that's, that's why George is, 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 is is genius. Um, you're absolutely right. Uh, it's, and, and it's, and as much as much, you know, I mostly good natured shit we took for the sex position scenes (laughs) as you were, if you will. Um, uh, that is the idea. Uh, is, is is that you know you're you're going to be? I mean, there aren't any shrinks back then, so <laughs> sort of we're, we're going to be a little more uh, open with someone who. And, and sadly, it's a reflection on the societal stuff where it's like, well, I can tell this, I can tell this whore this because it's not going to get to anybody. It doesn't matter. She doesn't matter. Right. You know, in terms of someone like say Theon, um, you know. Uh, but yeah, it's. Uh, uh, that yes, with that with that Brienne and Jamie scene, he would not. They would not be. They would not have had that conversation out in the road on a horse. You, right. know, it, you, you had to sort of be. They had to sort of be laid bare, you know, uh, so to speak, literally as well yeah. as figuratively, um, <laughs> to be able to to, to do that. Um, and that's and that's again, it's the genius of, of George's whole plotting of his 
of his of his uh, transformation in the in the third book, you know, losing his sword hand and being humiliated and uh, being brought as low as he can as he can be. And and and, and Nikolai, you know, must be said like the lack of vanity he had in terms of uh, going there. Uh, as an actor and as a leading man, you know, um, uh, not everyone I think would do that. I think Alfie's another example of someone who just allowed himself to be just, I mean, ripped apart and 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 beaten down and destroyed for for years. <laughs> um, it's I, you know, that's that's uh, there's not a lot of actors that could go there or would be willing to go there as much as they were. Yeah, it's it's for sure. It's funny. So you know. For anyone listening, the day that we're recording this is the day that you guys released those twenty character posters from season eight, and I will. Oh yeah, I just saw them. Yeah. yeah, and I will just say that I was like, I was, I have my favorites on the show. Theon is high up there, but I think of those posters, I was most excited to see Theon in like, you know, Greyjoy Prince mode, which is just not something we've seen uh, yeah. him in in so long, and it just was like weirdly healing for me to see him, you know, slightly <laughs> no, back yeah, together. I yeah. It's interesting watching this because I mean I've been I, I wrapped shooting in like July, you know, and then and then dove pretty much right into my Amazon stuff, and I uh, hadn't really sat with the show in a while, uh, and even just watching this old episode, I started to started to slowly feel the bits of oh, but this is this is almost over, yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. you know, uh, like really over. I mean, it's over for me; it's done. But uh, the fact that it'll be. Over, over. It'll be over. Yeah. Over, over. At least this version of it. There's, there's all the other ones that are coming. But, um, but yeah, it's, it's going to be a little, it's going to be kind of a surreal next few months. I'm not sure. I'm not sure how I'm going to deal with it. I don't know if I'll watch it with people or if I'll just hide under a rock somewhere, probably the latter. Um, I, uh, I wanted to dig, dig into one line with you, if I may. Um, sure. at the, at the tail end of the uh, Jamie and Brienne scene, when Jamie says, mm. um, "By what right does a wolf judge a lion?" Uh, and that th- mm. that made me feel a couple things. One, it sh- it shot me right back to there's this like season one episode three scene I think with like Jamie and Ned in the throne room. Um, that is one of my yeah. favorite scenes. You know, and you and you just yeah, the yeah. look on on Nikolai's face and everything that happens there shot me right back to that. Like it felt like to me like he was thinking of that moment and all the other Ned Stark indignities when he was thinking about that. And then also it it feels very like very Tywin, very like, you know, a a lion does not concern himself with, you know, thoughts of sheep or whatever. Um mm-hmm. but is there any like what does that line mean to you? Um Oh, that's just- Wow, that's interesting. Yes, I, you know it's it's funny. Um, I can't speak. I I, I, I should ask Nikolai sometime what he what what his. Uh, we didn't really talk about how he was going to play it. He really went there. Yeah, choose right um, into it. Yeah, yeah. And I even remember. I remember watching. I remember when that take happened. I remember sitting in Video Village, just you know, two feet away from the set, and. When that specific case, I knew it was going to be the one the house was going to use. I was like, oh, well, I was like, God, this is like, <laughs> um, uh, for me, it's interesting. Uh, and, and you kind of touched on it a second ago. Uh, when I, and it's from the book, um, but when I was, when I was thinking about it as I was adapting the scene, it, to me, it's, to me, it's sort of a, uh, this is, okay, bear with me. To me, it's sort of a, death cry to who he was in that I don't know if he entirely means it. Part of me thinks that he's just 
he's kind of crying out that Lannister thing. Yeah. You know I mean, like, like, like exercising Tywin or something like that. Like, he's, yeah. He's, he's, he's trying to hold on to this thing that is slipping away. This sort of family pride that he's not even sure he believes anymore. Yeah. Um, and, and because I think deep down he knows why the wolf's judging the lion because the lion is fucked up. But at the same time, I think, and this is why it was why I talked about with messiness. I think, I think in, in the very moment that he doesn't really believe what he's saying and he's overcompensating another part of him absolutely believes what he's saying and absolutely still has that family pride and absolutely has that superiority, but it's, it's all, it's eating him alive, you know? Um, and, and he, that's what he's wrestled with, you know, in all this, uh, the, the subsequent seasons, you know, he's, he's tried to, you know, his entire mission to Dorne to try to find Marcella, uh, was this idea of, well, I, I'm, 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 a, I'm a knight. I'm going to go on a quest right. and rescue a maiden. Yeah. Um, that'll, that'll show up. That, that'll, that'll, <laughs> that'll that's do it. I, that's what I meant to do. Yeah. You know, I'll, uh, I'll take this castle. You know, I'll, I'll ride in the back. You know, there's, there's all these times where he's sort of, he's being, he's trying to get himself back to where he was or where he saw, what he thinks he should be, but, 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 but he can't fully. Um, so that's a really weird long winded answer to the question, but no, I, I, I think it's, I like it. yeah, I, I think it's a very, it's, it's a messier line that it maybe reads on paper. You know, it, it, the, the surface reading is, you know, Renaissance rule, but, but, the anguish, that was the thing, the anguish in which he played it really kind of brought home again on this last project. Oh, wow, this is, you know, he's having a, a full breakdown. Um, and that's, uh, to your point about um, sort of planning out, one great advantage we had over, God, most TV shows, uh, certainly, and certainly at the time when there weren't as many adaptations happening now, now that's kind of everything. Right. But, um, you know, we, we had... Uh, we had four books when we started and five books when we were about, mm, about to shoot season two. So we knew that bathtub scene was coming so we could lay the track in a way that even George doesn't lay it in the books because Jamie's not a POV character right. in the books until book three. Right. Um, so, and there was a, there was a version where we could have just, and we this was even probably talked about very very briefly at the beginning where you could have adhered a little more to how the books were and really like Jamie's presented as a bad guy and this scene comes kind of out of nowhere which is a valid way to do it um, but I think because we had an actor like Nikolai and uh, and same, actually same with Lena we knew we were getting to you know season uh, book four season five Cersei right, from the beginning right, yeah. so, so you can thread in those scenes from their point of view where you get a bit of a window into their damage in a way that the book's didn't because you were never in their heads until book three. You were only looking at them from you know uh, from the outside. So it seems like the one you're referencing with, with Ned and, and 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 Jamie, the scene with Jamie and his father, where we meet Tywin. Seems like that because we knew where it was going. We could we could you know lay that track. Um, and that was and again that's just an advantage of having so much of the story. You know, the the, the and as much as we veered from it, even in the. Uh, uh, seasons that were adapted from the books, um, we had that that you know those sort of goalposts, if you will. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that was helped tremendously. Yeah. That being said, like um, when you rewatch episodes, do you ever see something where you're like, um, "Oh, we thought we were that was going to be more important than it wound up being for the larger oh, sure. story." Oh, sure. Yeah. yeah. You know, <laughs> uh, things 
that change for reasons that are utterly mundane. I mean, uh, you know, it's, it's actually hard for me to watch the show because I go, oh, right, now this was this scene was one supposed to do this and blah, 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 and that actor this, and, you know, that's, that's all. But that's it's, it's a TV show, and, you know. Maybe someday that will all fade from your memory and you will just get to watch the show as, like, a fan, perhaps. Well, yeah, it's, it's funny. It's already starting. Like, I'm already, I'm already <laughs> starting to go, when was that? Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. <laughs> <laughs> To your earlier point about budget, I know that um, in this episode, the two cave scenes are actually the same cave, like, readdressed, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes, they are. It's like sexy, ba- yes, they sexy are. bathtub cave and firefight cave are the same cave. Um, yeah, yep. that that's, that's a cave set uh, on the soundstage. Yeah. And uh, Emma Jackson, uh, who it was her last season with us. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The outside of the cave, obviously, is, you know, those caves are in Iceland and then... Right. Northern Ireland, but yeah, um, yeah, it got hot in there. Oh man, shooting that shooting that sword fight was—we were all blowing smoke out of our noses. Oh god! Oh no! Oh man, that was rough. Um, to that end, I, I did want to ask you about that whole um, barrack resurrection thing. I, uh, you know, this is this might be a, a a point we disagree on, but like, do you do you think that in these earlier scenes, as it is in the book? This idea that when you get resurrected, you come back very wrong um, is something that, like, is leaned on here. You know, Barrick says, like, each time I come back, I'm a little less myself. And then, like, yeah, I, I know we... T- pieces get chipped away, right. I think, or something. Yeah. yeah, and I know we've talked, to, like... To, I've heard you guys talk about, like, with John coming back, you feel like that's part of him coming back. But is it, like, less a part of him coming back than maybe you expected mm-hmm. it would be? Or what do you think? Um, well, that's an interesting question. Um, well, I think a decision was made, even with Barrick, we weren't going to, because you could go further with that and make him like, you know, kind of slightly crazy. Right. Um, it was, and, and, and Richard actually himself sort of brought this to it. It's, it's more of a, it's more of a private kind of unsettled thing. He also has come back nine times and gone, you know, just the one. Far as only come back once. <laughs> right. Um, so uh, I would say, I, I mean, I I would say it was definitely, it's definitely, in my view, it's definitely a piece of John was chipped away and, and Kid is playing it as such. Um, that's the kind of thing you might not even notice unless you go back and watch the whole thing. Um, I think Kit does a lot subtler, a lot more subtle work than he's given credit for. Um, uh, in general, actually, I think, I think it's a tremendous actor, but, um, uh, but it's, it's also, it's not the type of, sorry, John's not the type to monologue about it either. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yep. Um, it's, it's going to be something that's sort of bubbling inside of him. So it was something we were conscious of, but, but no, I mean, he's not coming back like, uh, fundamentally changed. He's still Jon Snow, but a piece of him has been chipped away. Um, and, and I think, I think, again, I think if you watch the arc of his entire series, I should do it. As, I probably should just do that. Shouldn't I? I should just watch, I think you should watch the whole Let's thing. I don't know. The I might have a thing, break right? I do. <laughs> um, do are you rewatching the whole thing? Yeah, right I'm now? doing it. I'm doing it. Oh, are you? Mm-hmm. Are you on it? Are you on this app right now? Or are you farther on? I'm on, I'm in season three, the end of season three right now. Yeah. Okay. So you're in season three. 
Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Maybe you'll disagree with me, but uh, I'd be interested to see what you think watching it all. Have you ever, have you done a whole rewatch before, or is this your first time kind of doing it like this? No, I didn't. I'm just curious. I did before season seven, but that already feels oh, like okay. so long ago that I'm like, well, you know. My God, I mean, you know, I, yeah. um, I don't know. I, I, I see it, but then again, I was I was there and I helped write it yeah, and I yeah, was yeah. shooting it. So um, I, see, I see it change. But it is it is a subtle one. It is a subtle one. And then um, when I don't know if I answered your question or not. Yeah, you did uh, definitely. And then when you get to we also oh, I'm yeah. sorry we also just uh, another thing I noticed from watching it uh, we made a conscious decision to make that scene about Arya and not about Beric. Yeah. So there was a longer speech. That's a really beautiful speech, and it's in it's in the book um, that was in early drafts. Uh, and we ended up, I ended up cutting it back and making and adding that bit about Arya asking about if you could bring that back and making it more about her because, you know, ultimately, you know, the, the, the show's about her, the storyline's about her, you know. Maisie is so good in that scene. My God. She's amazing. <laughs> oh, you know, she really is. Yeah. She, uh, yeah, she, uh, she's another one who can just do it with, with her eyes. My favorite, maybe my favorite moment of hers in the entire series, actually in season two. Um, it's another scene that is in one of my episodes that I hate that I didn't write. Um, it's the, it's the, it's the Yorin speech about Willem. Yeah. Uh, naming, naming the name. Yeah. Uh, name are repeating the, doing the prayer of the killer of his brother, uh, which was written last second and put into the, into the episode. The scene that was there was a scene about, with her and Hot Pie about Needle, um, which was fine, but, uh. Uh, then the guys took that scene out, and I was so mad at them. I was like, "Why did you take that scene out? It's great." And then they put that scene in. And, like, oh, and then I, I got credit for it. For then was like, "Oh, I didn't write it the best scene in the episode." Uh, but anyway, um, <laughs> she, she, she does. Uh, there's a if you watch that scene back, and you probably noticed this when you watched it when he when he when she when he starts telling the Willem Willem repeating story, her eye just flashes up, and you get the you see the inspiration for the prayer happening. And really, kind of the the commencement of her entire revenge-filled arc in in a flash of her eyes. And yeah. she did that when she was like fucking thirteen years old. I know. Ridiculous. So good. Anyway, sorry, I interrupted you. No, 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 no. Um, no, it's, I haven't it's, talked it's, about Game of Thrones in a while. I'm sorry. It's fine. No, <laughs> I love, I love, I love chatting with you about this. It's great. Um, do you think Dean Charles Chapman is the only actor to die twice on Game of Thrones? Oh, ha. <laughs> well, certainly the only... I think, uh, I, don't, yeah, I don't think we'd ever cast someone, kill them, and then brought them back in another part. I mean, maybe some diehard fan could correct me. Right. <laughs> um, I just I watched think, him die in this episode, and I was like, oh, we'll see you die again in a few seasons. Yeah. yeah. I'm pretty sure one of the players... I'm pretty sure one of the players in the, uh, the theater troupe that, uh, that Arya joins... Yeah, he was um, a gold cloak in season seven. Yes. Yeah. He used him twice, but I don't think he, his gold cloak died. No. <laughs> so, <laughs> Nor his um, player. So he just like changed yeah, jobs. Yeah. That's all. Yeah, yeah. Oh, which, by the way, Richard E. Grant, I was so happy for Richard oh, E. Grant this year. Oh, man. I know. Because he was, I've, I'm, I'm so, I've, I've always been obsessed with him. And we were also baffled that he wanted to play this little part. And I remember we were like, really? He wants to do this? He just wanted to do the show and, and, we were like, we could write him more scenes. And like, no, 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 I'm good. <laughs> he had a great time, and he was, he was, such, he was such a delight. Yeah. Um, but anyway, uh, yeah, I think, 
Yeah, I think when we when we were writing season, planning out season four, and the decision was made that we would need an older actor to kind of take on what we were planning for Tom. And um, I mean, I think they just offered him the part. I think he was so strong in that Martin Lannister scene. Um, we just offered it to him. I think it was it was sort of a no brainer. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was a nice that was a nice reminder when I rewatched it again. I'd forgotten. I was, oh, right. I mean, I knew it was Martin Lannister. I just forgotten that we watch him die on screen. I was like, oh, oh yeah. he got to do it. Yeah, he got yeah. to do it twice. That's so fun. Yeah. Um, and I think Rich yeah. Madden. I think I think this is one of Rich Madden's best episodes too. I think he's he's uh, uh, really kind of tremendous in uh, in this episode. And uh, and there's a little there's a little callback to his hand twitch, which I, I, you can sort of see on screen. When he's walking off after having beheaded Karstark, he's he's holding his hand steady because it's doing the twitch that he his hand does in uh, episode eight of season one when he decides to call the banners. Yeah, and his hand is nervously twitching. He, it, we we I wrote that back in, and and uh, I he yeah he he was great. There's he's this great. hand cl- like there's a clench too that you get in this episode. It's like a close-up on his fist clenching. We are, in this rewatch yeah. project that we're doing, we are, like, I've always been a fan of Richard Madden, but we are just, like, more than ever enormously appreciative of Richard Madden and Rob Stark and everything that happens with him. That, oh, yeah, 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 so good. That um beheading scene, obviously, like, I, of course you're doing, like, a conscious callback to Ned and to Theon, and then it's, like, a call forward mm-hmm. to what you know, Kit has to do eventually these like beheading scenes. Yeah. But what, like, what in your mind, what message are we supposed to take about the way that these three boys, Theon, Rob, and John, the way that they behead someone versus the way that Ned beheaded uh, someone in the pilot? Oh, wow. That's, that's, that's interesting. Let's think about that. Well, you know, there was a sort of solemnity and a sort of solemnity and a sort of respect in the first one. I mean, obviously the crimes are all very different and the circumstances that we granted, you know, um, uh, I think, I think what you're seeing, I, it was interesting. I, I, I mean, this is another thing. I, I was surprised that the Greyjoy scene pops up in that scene. Um, uh, it's the only time the Greyjoy theme ever pops up in something that doesn't involve Theon. Yeah. Uh, and I completely forgotten that. And it's clearly meant to, and I realize now it's genius because if, if the Theon beheading scene is, is, is a complete um, travesty, yeah, uh, and and a savage, you know, horrible injustice and the antithesis of Ned. Rob's beheading of Karstark falls somewhere in the middle, and uh, and clearly that I, that, I, that must be why the guys and and uh, Ramin decided to, to use that music cue there because yes, it was it is a just it is a just beheading, um, Karstark did commit a horrible crime, but killing your kin in this world is, is what it is. Uh, and it is one of the first steps that will eventually will lead to Rob's you know, demise. Um, and it's sort of symbolic of the old ways being perverted because of this horrible conflict. Um, so while Rob is justified in doing it, it's, a very, you know, Ned, Ned knows, you know, Ned isn't happy about beheading a guy, but at the beginning of the show, but he knows it's the right thing to do. Um, Rob's pretty sure it's the right thing to do, but it doesn't make it any easier. So I think, I think it kind of falls squarely in the middle and that music really, really, uh, really brings that home. And does that mean when, when 
Does that mean when John does it, that is like the right and true, like sort of heir to Ned's way? Yeah, I think, I think, uh, yes, I, it, it, that's interesting. And yeah, you're right. I think, and I, I can look at the John, John scene again. Um, I don't remember, I don't remember what music is used in that scene. I don't think it's a Theon theme. Um, probably some Stark theme time, <laughs> you know? Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'd have to look at it again. But yes, because that is, and that, that is, that is, uh, that is just. You know, I mean, you have a slint of prick. <laughs> <laughs> and then what about, that's, that season's so interesting because it has a, a Daenerys beheading too. And like, it feels like that Daenerys yeah. beheading is like Daenerys doing it wrong because she doesn't, like, she has someone do it for her. It all turns on her. Like, I feel like those are supposed, the, those two are supposed to be juxtaposed as well of like, um, the way Daenerys Absolutely. is. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely, and then, and you know the whole Daenerys subplot for all those seasons of, of uh, and it, it's you know again this is not something that consciously is talked about like this is a metaphor for you know uh, American intervention in the Middle East, um, but it's certainly it's certainly about someone who comes into a culture that is not theirs and thinks they know what they that thinks that just because they have good intentions they can fix it all and uh, you know um, and sees herself a certain way. Um, uh, and and uh, sort of believes their brand a little too much without kind of seeing what's actually happening within within the culture. Um, that was always really interesting to explore. And yeah, that scene is absolutely absolutely a big part of that. Um, Do you? Uh, yeah, what should I? I, can't remember that. I have to really watch season. What season is that? Season five. That's five. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Do you? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Um, and once again, I think, I think this is, this can just be answered with info from season seven. So I'm not fishing for anything from season eight, but like, do you feel that that's uh, a lesson that Daenerys learned and took with her to Westeros? Or is that a lesson she still has to learn, um, as a, as a leader? Mm, no comment. Okay. Great, great. All right. Um, yeah, speaking of, of music cues that are in the episode, one theme that I, that really struck me, I'm notoriously bad at recognizing the themes when they kick up. This is like just not something I have an ear for, but, um, oh, okay. the, yeah. uh, I can recognize the Stark theme. <laughs> so sure. that, sure. uh, that plays when Arya is talking to Gendry and she's like, um, you know, when she yeah, says so that, thought, when she asked him to come to Winterfell, and, like, I could be your family. Be family. And, yeah. yeah. Oh, it's yeah. killer. It's such a good scene. I just want to yeah. say that. Yeah. Oh, man. That's great. Yeah, I love that scene. I love that scene. <laughs> All right. Um, okay. So the last, the last question I've been asking everyone and everyone I've talked to so far is no longer involved in the show. So it felt like free, like free reign to ask them of like what they were most sure. looking forward to in the final season. I know better than to ask you that. <laughs> um, but right. is there anything at all you want to say or you feel safe saying about the final season of Game of Thrones. Oh, ha. Huh. Um, well, I, I, I guess I can speak to how we felt making it. It was, it was, and you know, we say this every year and it was true every year. Um, but it was, it's really true. This time. <laughs> uh, it, it was, it was there, without question and by a huge smile, the, the, the hardest season to make. Um, and we really asked, so much of everyone in every department, um, top down. And, uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm pleased to be able to, to 
have it out there so that people can. And I, I hope really, I hope people really, you know, regardless of what they think about what happens in it, um, the uh, the amount of uh, blood, sweat, and tears that went into this is, I'm, I'm very confident in saying, is is not equal in any other television series. And I'm not talking about everyone loves their show, but this is this was such a uh, a huge endeavor and um uh, so i'm i'm i've even sort of not i haven't even really looked at some of the later episodes yet because i kind of just want to experience them i want to try to experience them as much as uh, uh, i i kind of i don't know i mean i wanted to sort of keep my distance a little bit and and experience them with everybody else um and see the you know see the work fresh but um it was it was a real labor of love, uh, and that's a cliche thing to say about your show, but it, it really was. And since then, <laughs> you know, it was a decade. It was a decade of of all of our lives, yeah. and uh, uh, and so important, I think, to Belfast and and to country Northern Ireland, and and so, um, you know, I'm I'm pleased that it's that it's uh, I'm pleased that there's still production on I, on, on the prequel. I believe is is happening. Uh, there, which makes me very happy. Um, is that crazy? But, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, is that crazy to think of like a piece, yeah. a piece of art that you've done, like benefiting an entire country? Do you know what I mean? In such yeah, a yeah, and that's really that's truly that's a, that's a huge part of of my love for the for the whole experience. Truly, uh, it is that that country and its people and our crew to even bear witness to the change in Northern Ireland. Um, you know where where it was and how it was and how it felt and how uh, from from the summer of two thousand nine to now it, it, it's a, it's changed enormously and we did have a big part of that and I and I'm I'm very grateful to have been a part of that. Um, so yeah, I, I obviously can't really talk about the story. I, I don't know. I don't. I don't really know. I was so close to it. I don't even know how I feel about it. It's it's, uh, <laughs> it's very it's very it's very, it's going to be very raw. Um, like I said, I'm probably just going to check out for a while <laughs> because, because, you know, we didn't ever think, I don't know. I certainly never, I never thought it was going to be this, you know, I think we just wanted to be able to get our first season and be able to make our second season and then and, and get people to the red wedding and hope enough people watched it where we could tell the story and the way we wanted to tell it. I don't, I, I, hundred percent confident that no one thought it was going to even come close to something approaching a global phenomenon. Um, and I sometimes forget that it is because to me, it's just this story that I, that I help tell. So, um, as such reactions to it and responses to it are going to, you know, run, they're going to be on every end of the, of, the, of the spectrum. And that's, that's something that just comes with something that's be achieved this kind of, you know, popularity. <laughs> Um, so I know, it's, I know. has Damon, know. has Damon Lindelof given you guys all advice on like where to go and what to do? Uh, oh, I don't know. Maybe, maybe, maybe David and Dan, I've only met David once or twice. He's really nice. He's always been very nice about the show. Yeah. Um, he said a nice thing about it. But after the whole, uh, Sansa wedding uh, of it all, he was, he, he was very nice about that too. Um, uh, which I was happy and <laughs> grateful for. But, um, yeah, maybe he has, maybe he shared that with the guys. I'm not sure. Um, yeah, I've, I've been, uh, you know, um, we've been talking about this. It's like, it's like, how, how do you land a plane this big without, you know, they're just being too much discourse, <laughs> like just too much. Do you oh, know yeah. what I mean? I mean, that's so, the thing. I mean there's, yeah. just, there's, there's just no way, there's no way to avoid it. It's yeah. Just, 
you know. Um, but it's funny because it, it, it turned it turned from that weird drag at HBO doing a fantasy show to it's based on some books I think I heard of. And then the Madness diminished George's books. He, he always has had a huge following, but um, but it, I think it was safe to say it was a cult following at the time. Yeah. Um, uh, so it returned from that to, oh, yeah, have you heard about this show? Oh, it's, oh, it's the little underdog. It got nominated for all the Emmys. Of course, Homeland beat it. And, da, 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 da. Uh, and then we became suddenly the, the juggernaut, you know, establishment blockbuster thing, <laughs> which, it, you know, it, I, it, that was not what we were. We were the, <laughs> we were the you know, weird little show and Boardwalk Empire was the thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, so it's, I've, I've lived with it in both the uh, I, I've lived with both identities of, of what the show was, and so it's 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 uh, it's strange now to see Super Bowl ads, you know. Yeah, Budweiser ads. You know what I mean? I just I look <laughs> yeah. at it and go, oh, okay. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, that's how um, we are. I see. You know, yeah, it just becomes it's become something, and I'm not saying it's a bad thing or a good thing. It just it's just it's different. It's interesting. Yeah. It's, it's um. Yeah, I don't know, <laughs> and I'm sure it's much weirder for George because it all started with. You know, George writing that scene about um, a family finding some wolves in the snow before he even knew what the scene meant. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, that's and that's that's incredible. Um, you know. So anyway, well, excellent. Try to do my try to do try to do my best uh, in my small part of it. I mean, that Jamie and Brand's like scene alone. There, you, you done it. You did it. Um, <laughs> well, he, he did that, but I would, I would, I would fit into, I, I would fit into television shape. So. Um, well, thank you so much for your time, all this time. I really, really appreciate it. It was so good to talk to you about, oh, sure. about this episode yeah, and the whole thing. Thank you. No, it was, uh, it was fun to talk about. I, I'm very fond of the episode. So thanks. All right. That's it for us. Richard, where can people find you until next time? Uh, people can find me, I don't know, Trolling King's Landing, looking for my old pal Olivar. Um, <laughs> but uh, you know, I'm also be, uh, at, the, at, at the same time. We'll be on Twitter at Rylaws and on BF.com. Joanna, where will you be until we talk about our next episode, which we're about to reveal? I am still going to be soaking in that tub in Heron Hall. There you go. Um, or in that cave uh, up north. And uh, you can find me on Twitter at Joe Wrote This. Next time we are talking about season three, episode seven, The Bear and the Maiden Fair. So we'll see you guys then. Know that fizzy feeling you get when you read something really good, watch the movie everyone's been talking about, or catch the show the internet can't get over? At the Pop Culture Happy Hour podcast, we chase that feeling five times a week. We talk about the buzziest movies, TV, music, books, and more. From lowbrow to highbrow to in-between, catch the Pop Culture Happy Hour podcast from NPR.